Welcome to Elixir Mix, your weekly Elixir podcast talking with members of the community. My name is Mark Erickson. On our panel today, we have Michael. Hey, everybody. Josh. Yo. And today we're joined with a special guest, Eric Ostrich. Hello. He's joining us. He's been a previous uh, guest. And today we, we're all joining together to welcome a special guest, Adolfo. Uh, Adolfo, could you say hi and introduce yourself? Hi. Hi, I'm Adolfo Neto. I'm a professor at a Brazilian university, the Federal University of Technology in Paraná, Curitiba, Paraná. And also, I'm a fan of the Elixir programming language. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Great. And so you were, we wanted to have you come and talk about like the Elixir Brazil conference. And I believe you spoke there as well. And we'd love to hear just kind of think about um, technology Brazil in Brazil with Elixir, with uh, your experience with it. So why don't you first just kind of give us a little um, background on what you presented on at the conference. Then we can start talking about the conference. So uh, I presented a, a talk about the, the Elixir community of practice. It's because um, I've, as you know, as I have already said, I'm a professor. So I, I don't spend my time, my professional time programming. I, I do what I can. And, but I, I started to see that there is a lot of things going around the, the Elixir community. There is uh, podcasts like we are here. There are I, I believe there are other podcasts. I, I believe no. I know there are other spot, other podcasts, and also there is the, the Elixir forum and the live coding, and uh, it's a lot of things happening. And I, I remember when I was a student a long time ago, there wasn't this kind of thing for pro programming languages, especially new programming languages, small programming languages like. I mean, the, the Elixir community is still quite small, even in Brazil, where it's, I, I believe the, the, the Elixir community in Brazil is bigger than in other countries because the, the creator, José Valim, is Brazilian. But it's, it, so I, I was fascinated by everything that was related to, to the Elixir community. And in my research time, that, that as a professor, I have to teach, I have to manage students, and I have to I have some time to research, to do research. And I, I said, oh, let, let me study the, the, the Elixir community of practice. And I, I use this expression, Elixir, the community of practice, because in it's a, a term that is, that is used it is used in research to to re represent a group of people that share a common interest and that they that interacts to to produce nice things like this podcast and blog posts and everything else that was my my talk at the elixir elixir, elixir brazil 2019 so i i'm really fascinated by um you you have a very different perspective on the elixir community than than almost anyone else that I've ever talked to. Um, and uh, so I'm a little bit curious what, you talked a little bit about um, what made you interested in learning more about the community, but as you started to study it, what did you find? What, um, is there a reason that the Elixir community is producing more of these you know, podcasts and forums and, and blog posts? Um, do you think that there's a reason for that? Or um, do you think that uh, that producing those things will create a certain outcome for the community? 
I cannot say right now I'm just in, in a stage where I'm just doing a characterization. So I'm, I'm, I, I use the term uh, participant observer. So I'm mostly an observer because I'm kind of outside. I, I'm not a software developer, but I'm also a participant because I, I, I'm going to events. I'm, I, I, now I'm a co-organizer of the local meetup and uh, I gave talks about Elixir here at my university. So what I'm trying to do right now is just to characterize. I plan in the future to, to, to try to uh, raise some hypotheses and to test them to see if they are true or not. One of the questions I had was any background you've had with other communities out prior to Elixir. Um, and I'm, I'd really be curious to hear your um, perspective on how they are similar or different. Like how might the Elixir community be different from another community you've examined in the past? Yes, I have never studied in as much detailed other communities I, as I have studied the, the Elixir community. And, but I've, I, as a, um, I have spent one year at North Carolina State University and while I was there in Raleigh, North Carolina, I went to a lot of meetups, mostly meetups related to the Agile community and also some meetups related to the Ruby community. Yes, there is a, a Ruby, Ruby, a strong Ruby group, Ruby group there. And, ah, and also I went to the, the closure community uh, meetup there in Durham. Durham is close to, to Raleigh. Ah, I, I, also, I also went to Closure Conge 2014. It's the a big conference for Closure developers. So I, what I, I could see is that compared to these other Communities, I think the the Elixir community it's is is smaller, but it produces a lot of things, a lot of blog posts and and videos and talks and events and. Uh, but I, I'm not sure. I, I cannot say why this happened. I, I can only right now. I can only say that oh, this is happening. There is a lot of thing happening, but I don't know why. What's the motivation behind all this? these things that happening in the, in the Elixir community. Yeah, so I'm, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that you uh, attended uh, school in Raleigh, North Carolina, because um, one of the things I think people may not be aware of uh, is that it's kind of considered the research triangle. You have Durham, Raleigh, and Chapel Hill. And I had very strongly considered moving there uh, when I was uh, in Alabama in an area that was very much dominated by at the time it was uh, and, and everything Microsoft uh, in terms of tech like you really couldn't get a job doing anything else and there's still uh, a lot of that yeah oh it's so sad um, but yeah so I really strongly considered moving to Raleigh and Durham area just because they had such a great Ruby community and this was years ago so I would be we'd love to hear from the audience like if there are meetups and things anyone would like to kind of raise awareness for in those areas uh, especially around Elixir uh, but yeah, so I would love to, so I'm curious about your experience in the U.S. Uh, just, uh, did you enjoy it here? I, I loved, I loved the, the, this research triangle area. It's, it's great because a lot of, that is, uh, uh, it's not so dense, such a dense populated area compared to the place where I live because I, I live in a, a very crowded urban area and I was there mostly because I, I'm a professor here and there there is this professor at NC State they they call the, the University of NC State there that's Laurie Williams. Laurie Williams is a, a pioneer in Azure Azure software development. She wrote a book a long time ago about pair programming. So that's what I, I, I went there. I went to 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 be part of her research group, and then she she told me, "Ah, go you you like this?" I, I at the time I was very interested in coding dojos, 
And I, I was planning to maybe to organize some coding dojos there. But then she said, oh, go to those meetups, those, those groups of, there's these groups of professionals interested in some specific area. And I went to the, the Azure, as, as I said, the Clojure, Python, Ruby, even Java. There was a, a Java, ah, there, there was even one on PHP. <laughs> Because, I, I mean, PHP is kind of a dying language. I, I, I'm not sure, but so, so it was very interesting to, to get to know those, that. I mean, as a professor, and I sometimes I teach things to students that are not that interested. And these people, they, they work 40 hours a week, and they find some time to watch a talk by someone about the thing that they are working. So this was kind of very interesting for, for me. I, that's, um, so I'm very interested in uh, your experience with the closure community. That was um, a big part of me coming to Elixir is that I was um, primarily Ruby developer at the time. And, um, and I started to watch Rich Hickey talks. <laughs> and, and I got very interested and pretty soon was watching all the ClojureCon, uh, you know, videos that were released. And, um, and I, I became very interested in hearing the work that was going on there and how they were finding these common problems that showed up over and over in, in programs written by teams of people. And, uh, you know, and, and they tried to find better ways to structure their code or their tools that help to eliminate those. And um, from, I realized that this research happens in a lot of other places, by the way. But, um, but for me, that was one of the first places where the research had application directly on the things I was working on on a day-to-day -day basis. It felt really exciting, and it got me excited about functional programming in particular. And, um, and then I kind of discovered Elixir and rediscovered Erlang. Um, and so that's, uh, I'm very interested that you are going to have this chance to compare the Elixir community to your experience with the Clojure community and, and these other programming communities, because I think all of them shared that, um, that very open source uh, tradition where, like you said, you, you have some day-to-day -day job where you're shipping features, you're fixing bugs. Um, Oftentimes, those jobs can include pager duty and things that add stress. But even so, the people in those careers, they find extra time just because they enjoy the pursuit of excellence in software. And, um, and I think that has, uh, I'm very interested to see how that plays out over the next decade because open source has so far had a very interesting trajectory where in the early days, it was kind of anti-corporations right? It was, it was kind of Microsoft versus the Linux Foundation in a way, or the, the GNU Foundation. And, um, and now the two seem to be working in a more harmonious way, where companies employ people who spend their time uh, working in open source. So, so maybe the two are learning to work together better. And I'm curious to see how that will play out in the future. Um, but one thing I was particularly curious about that you might um, have some uh, some knowledge about is what does the Elixir community look like in and around Kodachiba? Uh, are there a lot of companies that are hiring Elixir developers? Is there a lot of professional things going on? It sounds like there's a meetup. You, you helped organize a meetup. So there's um, some of that kind of community. Is What other uh, community things are happening in uh, where you live? So there, there are some companies here that use Elixir in production, like I think Bcredi and Pipefy. I'm not sure what's the, the name of the other one, but there, I, I can remember at least three. three com I, I tell you where. And uh, there has been maybe, it's not yet a, a regular monthly meetup. And I think there is, uh, the last meetup was four months ago, but um, we, I, I have some plans to maybe do some things here at the university as a way to maybe attract my students, the, the university students to, to Elixir. And it's still, of, of course, it's still quite small, when compared to, to other languages, it's much easier to find a job here if you know Java or, or even Ruby. 
but it's it, it's it's growing it's growing and it's it as these companies some some of these companies are hiring maybe it will grow even more i mean curitiba is not a a, a, a city as big as sao paulo because the the elixir brazil 2019 event happened in sao paulo which is a, a metropolitan area that has uh, maybe 20 million inhabitants it's huge and they have an elixir user group there that's also they they have regular events small events and here in curitiba we have only two million inhabitants and the so we 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 are starting to see more tech companies here my but it's 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 also it's growing that the market for software developers in general here it's growing and this there's just a small percentage of these companies are using elixir uh, for any of our audience who are portuguese native speakers or uh, otherwise live in brazil is there a place where they could go to find uh, some of the presentations that that uh, like your presentation I, I we will include that in the show notes but um you know, they, they might be interested in taking a look at some of the other conference talks. Is there a good place where they can go to see those? Yes, I see that you 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 have the, the link for my post. I, I wrote today a post, a, a brief recap of Elixir Brazil 2019, and there I I put the the links to all the the slides that I know. I think the the Elixir Brazil site has a links to some slides because we had a problem it's a small problem because it's as i see it's not uh, the, the elixir community is not rich i mean it's uh, there's no big company behind elixir yet so it's different uh, i i compare that to, to kotlin kotlin was a language that was created around the same time as elixir but there is a, a huge company behind <laughs> kotlin that's google and this platform attack, it's a quite small company when compared to Google. I think they have less than 100 um, developers there. And so the talks from the Elixir Brazil conference were not recorded. So what, all we have are the slides for some, some talks. Mm-hmm. And there is one guy that he did a, a personal recording of his talk. And I did a, 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 a representation. I, I presented <laughs> to myself the, the, the slides from that talk. I re- so that's, there are two videos from which, with some content from the, the, the conference. Awesome. So I, I do understand like as hosting a meetup and where people say, oh, can you have this one recorded and posted? I understand the difficulty of having, of making that happen. Uh, and so I, so basically if people want to get the incredible value of that Elixir community, sounds like they need to go to the next Elixir Brazil conference, right? They're just gonna have to make that plan and schedule it and go. Well, but uh, the, the organizers, I, I, I wish to, 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 Publicly, publicly thank the, the organizer, especially the Alda Rocha and João Brito. They were great. It was their initiative and also the, the Elixir user group from Sao Paulo. They did a great job. So I, I'm not complaining about the, 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 that the talks were not recorded. But uh, they, ah, do you know that this was the second Elixir Brazil? It's uh, yes, uh, last year there was also an Elixir Brazil, and all the talks from the first Elixir Brazil were recorded, are available online. I, uh, I'll just say a quick thank you also. So, um, to, for the, the community work that you've been doing, Alfredo, and also um, to Mark Erickson. So, Mark and I live somewhat close to each other. We're in sort of the Salt Lake City metropolitan area. I don't know if you can really call it a metropolitan area. I just looked it up online, and there's about 1.5 million people in the cities in and around Salt Lake. Um, but over the years, uh, there's been like Elixir meetups have kind of happened and then sometimes they die down for a little while. 
Uh, and there's, there's, you know, Mark in particular, but lots of other people as well have really pitched in to, to make that become a more regular thing. And I think that's been a huge benefit. There's, um, you know, there's probably, I had a list somewhere that I was compiling the other day. I think there's something like 12 different companies that I knew of around our area that are using Elixir. And uh, I think a lot of that does, um, it is influenced by not only the wider Elixir community, but also the local Elixir community. So a big thanks to the organizers for Elixir Brazil, um, as well as wherever meetup groups are happening. Um, you know, I just, just thank you to everybody doing that kind of stuff. Yes, regarding Utah, there was a guy from Utah there. Utah there, it's Adam Tew. He works for Podium. It's it's in the Salt Lake City metropolitan area, right? Yes, uh, yeah. So there were two guys uh, who uh, came from Podium, and they did a rehearsal of their talk at our meetup. And they told us they were going down to Elixir Brazil. So we wish them luck, and uh, hopefully, it sounded like that went well. But yeah, so that, they were talking about their experience at Podium using GenStage and, uh, you know, for processing uh, you know, very large amounts of, of um, messaging, like sending out notifications to phones and things like that. So it was cool. Yes, one thing I, I would like to say is that um, Brazilians are known for being more extroverted or more informal and there was one talk at this Elixir Brazil conference that was uh, a stand-up a kind of a stand-up comedy related to Elixir unfortunately it, it would it would be impossible to translate <laughs> into <laughs> English but it was quite funny there was also one talk that one guy is Kaiki he was trying to 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 give a demo of nerves and he had a bucket full of water and the, when when the people in the audience clicked above a button then the, he was uh, i don't know how to say sprayed with water <laughs> and there's a video uh, so wow. there were some very funny guys there that the uh, one thing that i also wrote in my recap of elixir brazil was the I think it, I, 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 as I said, I went to Closure Conch in 2014. And I, I went there because uh, I, I was going to the meetup in Durham, North Carolina. And then I, uh, they said, oh, we, we're, we're going to give tickets to people that need tickets. So I said, oh, I'm a professor from Latin America. Could you give me a ticket? And then I went because otherwise it would be, it would be quite expensive to me. And but, but I think the, the, what the organizers from Elixir Brazil did was great. They, they invited a lot of people that even they didn't have, have had, had any previous, previous experience with Elixir, but only they, they went there because they were part of, uh, um, how, how can I say, it, it was a, a, a kind of, uh, uh, inclusion initiative. So there were people that were from, there is a group from Perifa Code that is people from, from poorer parts of the city. And also there is a black, some black people from the tech community. So it, it, they, they were trying to attract more people to the Elixir community in Brazil. Yeah, I, I really love that. Um, I'm seeing more and more Elixir conferences do this. So, um, so I know Bruce Tate um, is another person. If, if any, any listeners are interested in diversity programs um, around Elixir conferences or the Elixir language, um, Bruce Tate, uh, you can follow him at Red Rapids online. Um, he's doing a lot of initiatives, both at conferences as well as um, some other kind of online learning resources. So um, a great person to follow if that is something that you also want to get involved with and, and would like to help out with. So I was wondering if we could turn the topic a little bit, a little bit, you, with your academic research and your PhD, I understand that you had some experience with property-based testing. Is that right? Well, actually, no. Uh, I, what, what I did during my PhD was I, I implemented a theorem prover. So it's kind of, it, it has some relation, but it's, uh, 
all I know from property-based testing is what uh, I watched at the, I watched a uh, Joseph Alin talk about property-based testing. That I, I, I want to have some time to maybe in December to, to maybe pick some papers and read the book. There's a, a book about property-based testing from a, a known programming books editor and but i still don't have much experience uh, it's not that related to my phd hmm. um, do they both fall into that like formal verifications uh kind of branch of research yes yes it's related to, to formal verification but uh, what i did for my phd was uh, i implemented a multi strategy theorem prover based on the uh, KE Tableau methods. So it's not something that many people in, a, in academia or, or even in, in industry, they, people don't care much. So that's part of a PhD that sometimes you choose a topic that no one cares. Maybe someone, someone will care about it in, 20 years uh, in, uh, at Elixir Brazil 2018, Jose Valin gave a talk called Hughes Driven Development. Why Hughes? Because of John Hughes, that is, who is a researcher in a Swedish university. And I think it was fascinating because oh, this guy, they, they, he wrote a lot of papers um, 20 years ago, and now Joseph Alin is reading those papers and applying, not, not only Joseph Alin, Joseph Alin and the, the entire Elixir core team, they, they read this, his papers and other papers, and they used what they learned to create the Elixir formatter. So that's how research works. Sometimes you study something and nobody cares. Sometimes you study something and someone cares about it 20 years from now. So uh, that's <laughs> how I feel about what I did on, during my PhD. I don't know if in, at any time someone will care, but it's, it's there. <laughs> Well, that was a, I'm glad you mentioned that talk by Jose Valim. Uh, so we put a link to this in the show notes. That is from his 2018 Warsaw, Poland, ElixirConf EU. And it's a keynote talk where he, it is called Hughes Driven Development. And yeah, so it talks about the Elixir code formatter. And one of the things I think is just amazing, I just got to talk about Elixir code formatter because I think even though I may not agree with all of the choices that are made and how Elixir code should be formatted, uh, I just love that it's built off of the AST that you're able to take, you know, examine the AST and say, how can we restructure this code and then verify that the restructured code does not modify the AST. So you're guaranteed that it doesn't break the code after it re, uh, re uh, configures it. And I think that's, that's such a cool feature of Elixir. And so anyway, that's uh, one of the and things that's I enjoy. That's what Pretty does in JavaScript as well, right? I don't know if it it breaks it down to an AST though. I'm, Do you know? I'm pretty sure that it does. Yeah, um, I think that's actually why it's uh, just. I I love it. I think it's fantastic on the JavaScript front. But yes, Elixir Formatter is phenomenal. I was talking with a friend the other day about Prettier, and he was saying, "Oh, it's it's this massive project, and it's so amazing that they can do things like if a line gets too long, they won't just break it at the last character; they'll try to break it at the commas between the arguments, and like they really understand the shape of the code." And um, and I was thinking in the back of my head, "Wow, that's amazing that you know that the Elixir Core team released something that is." Um, you know, it's right up there with Prettier in terms of its its uh, functionality and its completeness. Um, the fact that it's it's very theoretically sound, um, and it it's just a regular tool for our community. You know, it doesn't it maybe doesn't yep. get the the same kind of praise and attention that a project like Prettier does. But it integrates into your editor more easily since it's a guaranteed substrate. Yes, anyway. I think when. One tip I would have on that is we were uh, wanting to recently add uh, the code formatter to our project. And one of the difficulties is like you can set up like in your CI process, you can say, I want that um, if I run the code formatter as part of the CI build, and if it finds anything that it would change, then fail the build. 
just so you don't have to involve the whole discussion of how code is formatted as part of a, a code review. Uh, but the problem is then you exactly like Josh is saying there, you have to have it. So everyone is automatically doing this. It's where it's automatically done. It's like, well, in order to do that, you like, well, at first we have to have a code commit that just formats the whole project. And then we can go from there. Otherwise you're still going to have problems as you try and, you know, merge changes with branches and everything. So you kind of kind of get to that point where you say, okay, now is the time where we can introduce this as a baseline. This episode is brought to you by TripleByte. Applying to programming jobs sucks. You have to put the right keywords in your resume. You spend hours and hours on the phone screens and take home projects. And that's assuming the company even responds to your application. Well, if you're a software engineer, TripleByte can help. They work with over 400 top tech companies from big names like Dropbox and Adobe to exciting startups. You do one brief online interview with them. And if you do well, you go straight to final interviews with the company on their platform. It's like the common app for software developers. TripleByte does not look at your resume or where you went to school. All they care about is if you can code. I've helped dozens of software developers with various credentials get jobs, and this looks like a terrific way for you to get in and get interviewed and get a job without a lot of the hassle and overhead. You can go check them out at triplebyte.com slash elixir. That's triplebyte.com, byte as in eight bits. As a special offer for listeners of this show, if you take a job through Triplebyte, they'll offer you a $1,000 signing bonus. But yeah, I don't know. Have you guys experienced or done anything like code formatting as part of your normal CI build? Yeah, I think it's I think it's an important thing to do, and I I also recommend having a single commit that just formats everything, because otherwise you end up with very confusing get blame. In my experience, um, there's always going to be a bad point when you do a formatting run, but doing it all at once is good. Anyway, yeah, you should have it in CI. It's awesome. Yeah, I'll uh, toss my agreement in there as well. Uh, any of our new projects, I've been trying to make sure that I get that mixed format. Uh, I think it's like check format. Um, uh, in as quick as possible so that it's like, yeah, always running and whatnot. Also mix compile warnings as errors. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that's a, that's a great pro tip. Um, I'll just say just, you know, uh, as maybe someone who, uh, in a, on a couple of my open source projects, I wanted to add the formatter, but, um, but when I tried to just run it across the whole project, it, it created some, some very odd formattings. Um, and so uh, just another option for people to consider is if you're bringing it into an existing project, you can actually in the .formatter.exs file, you can tell it which paths you want it to format or which files. Um, and so I was able to say like, hey, I'm going to do one big commit that formats all the tests because there wasn't anything really crazy there but then start to add other ones kind of piece by piece so that I could review, oh, here's all the formatting changes. And, and sometimes you can personally fix some things that um, still comply with the formatter, but make the code that keep the readability a little bit higher. So just as an, you know, I think most of the time a single big commit and just bite the bullet can be a great way to just get the whole team bought in. Like we're going to do this everywhere. But if, if that's, if you're working with a, a team that, maybe you're not all in the same place or you don't all have as many hours in a week to work together. Sometimes that longer latency relationship can benefit from a more piecemeal approach. And you can, um, you can run the mixed format on a single file. So if you notice, like if, I guess if you have a relatively small code base for this, uh, if you do the, the full code base and a lot of stuff is, is kind of wonky, um, in terms of readability now, you can just run it on individual files, kind of edit it, split up some functions, break things up, whatever, to make it look nicer and then still mix format the same. Um, so you can kind of do it even more piecemeal should you want. Um, yeah, and I have a, a plugin that I had to disable until we can make that big change, but uh, that put it in uh, VS Code for me. So just on save, it would automatically do the formatting. I think that something like that, and that exists for just about every editor, I'm sure. Well, uh, Adolfo, one, one other thing that I would love to get your opinions on is, um, are, are you seeing any projects that are going in as an observer participant? Are there any projects or initiatives that you see happening in the Elixir community right now that make you feel excited about the future of, of the language of the community? Oh, hey, yes. I, I, Phoenix and Nerves and this yeah I, mostly these two i think at least where i can can see from 
from my participation <laughs> observing is that people are, are very excited about Phoenix and nerves, mostly. Yes, especially now that there's this Phoenix Live View, there's a, a lot of talk about Phoenix Live View. Yes, and I think Jose Valin said in the, the last Elixir Conf that the language is not going to grow much, right? It's kind, it's kind like it's, it's going to be stable. So it's, I think the, the idea now is that a lot of things are going to happen in libraries and frameworks around the, the Elixir language. Yeah, that's my understanding as well. As, um, and even in the libraries, um, I think the NERFS community is still um, putting out quite a few changes. But the Phoenix, the, the main Phoenix framework in and of itself seems fairly stable over the last several releases. Um, and they now have kind of some spin-off projects like FireNest, where they're, they're trying to take some of the distributed CRDT stuff that they did with uh, Phoenix Presence and turn it into a library that can be reused for other sorts of CRDT applications. Um, and, uh, and, and I think they're also extracting a few other pieces of, uh, of, of things that they built for Phoenix in order to make the scaling story work or other things. And, and they're kind of pulling those out into more general purpose libraries. Um, and then, and then of course the nerves community, as you mentioned, you know, I just think it's, uh, that, that's one that I'm super excited about personally and, uh, spending a lot of my time, uh, just over the weekend, I got a, uh, a little flower, some flower pots with moisture sensors and a uh, little, um, fish, fish tank pumps to pump water into them. Um, I f completely flooded them on my first attempt. So uh, it was a nerves fail for me on my first go because I wasn't reading the sensors correctly. Uh, luckily, they only had a one gallon tank of water, so I didn't do too much damage. But, uh, but I think that, that whole area of bringing some very modern tooling, uh, modern practices around resiliency and bringing that to the world of embedded uh, devices is... Um, it's going to be very timely for for the fact that right now there's so many companies that want to create these more intelligent, more collaborative devices. Yes, one thing that is happening right now here at my university is that I, I, I taught a course last year about concurrent functional programming. And there, there is this student that he works with notification-oriented programming. It's a kind of new programming paradigm that was created by a professor here. And so he knew this notification-oriented programming, and I presented to him Elixir and Erlang. And he said, oh, it's quite, it, it, there are some things that I, I could be doing. So he, in a few months, probably he will release this, this package where he, he will present how these two things can be connected. Oh, and I, sorry, I just got a message from um, some of the other panelists that uh, it looks like FireNest actually has been, um, work on that has been halted and they're actually moving that work back into Phoenix PubSub, which can be used uh, outside of a Phoenix project. Um, but thanks for the, the quick heads up there, Mark and Eric. Yeah, that's a disappointment. I was really looking forward to FireNest as something I was wanting to use. But uh, yeah, maybe we can catch up with some of the people who are working on that and, and kind of find out where things are going in the future. But yeah, so I'm just curious, uh, Adolfo, um, in talking about concurrent programming and functional programming and object-oriented programming, if you just kind of, uh, what do you feel are some of the benefits of uh, functional programming? And like, how do you present these kinds of topics to your students? Like, where would you say that this, you know, that functional programming might be a, a, a great example or a solution for any kind of problem? Yes, first, I would like to recap uh, a little bit of my history with functional programming because uh, I was an undergraduate student back in 1991, uh, yes, 1991, and then a professor at the Federal University of Alagoas where I was a computer science undergraduate student, he presented LISP to me. So, but at the time he only does, oh, do, do this with LISP. But he didn't explain to me that it was a functional 
programming language. So I, I, I was, I already knew how to program in Pascal. So I, I tried to do the same thing that I was doing Pascal with Lisp. And some years later, I went to, to my, my master's and there was a professor there, Rafael Duerilins, that he, he was doing research with ML. ML is a quite old programming language. And, uh, but for me and for all the other students as accepted there, his students, it was, oh, this, this guy is crazy. He's doing something that nobody cares. Functional programming is it's useless. <laughs> it's useless. And so it was quite interesting to me that uh, a lot of, it was maybe in 2011 that Bruce Tate wrote that seven languages in seven weeks book. And there was closure uh, in, oh, it's Lisp. It's Lisp before Java. Oh, that, that's great. So it's useful after all. So it's, it's and, Ah, and so you know that Jose Valin, he wrote, he read that book and he created Elixir because he liked Erlang, but he didn't like Erlang syntax, and he 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 said this in a, a Brazilian podcast. He said, "Oh, Erlang syntax is terrible, but uh, I, I love the Erlang virtual machine and." So uh, yes, that was my, ah, one, one thing that uh, I, I forgot to say that while I was in the US in 2014, 2015, I went to a lot of meetups, as I said, and in some meetups, someone would say, oh, there is this new programming language, Elixir. The, uh, people also talked about a lot, uh, 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 a lot about Rust. Elixir and Rust, oh, almost all meetups are oh, Elixir and Rust. Oh, what, what's Elixir? Then, oh, it was created by a Brazilian like me. So that's how I, I got interest, interested in Elixir. And only last year, I, no, I, I think in 2017, after studying just a little bit of Elixir, I gave a talk for some students and then I, I went to the first meeting of the Elixir Curitiba Meetup. And last year, I, I gave uh, a course on Elixir Concurrent Functional Programming. And it was difficult for me to pack all the, the information about Elixir and Erlang and the actor model and how do you teach a, a functional programming language for for students that only know how to program with imper imperative and object-oriented language. And so I, I still don't have an answer. What's the best way to teach Elixir? I don't know. Uh, for instance, at the, the, there's a, this great site you ob ob obviously you know, Elixir School. Maybe someone of you is a contributor there. there and they present anonymous functions before named functions. I don't know if that's the best idea. I, I asked Bruce Tate, and he also thinks that it, there is, a, he, he told me, no, first I do this and then I do that. So it's, uh, it's still an open question for me. If, for instance, I would like to know, would Elixir be a, a good first, first programming language for new students, if it is, which would be the best order of subjects to teach new, new programmers that want to learn Elixir? So that's what I, I'm thinking, but I still have no, I plan to, to, to do a course, to organize a course here in Curitiba with some students, but nothing concrete yet. Well, I'm curious to hear from our panel, uh, their experience with that, because we, we deal with that from a very practical perspective of we have a company that we work for and a job that we have to do, and we're hiring people who probably don't have any experience with Elixir. How do you guys go about kind of getting people into this functional perspective? Uh, is there anything you do, like uh, reference material you would use? Like kind of where do you guys go with that? 
So I was going to actually suggest this, uh, this thing, and I've got the, um, I'm just going to paste it in here. This is a thing that the National Functional Programming Group put together that was uh, called Erlang School that uh, Brian Hunter put on. And uh, it was, that's how I learned Erlang. And so uh, it's not, I don't think it's necessarily like the best primer on this sort of thing for super beginners, but someone who knows what they're doing programming, I think it's a really solid trajectory. Um, anyway, and then there was also a, uh, just if you're looking, there was, I don't remember the name of it, but there was an Erlang school like training that was put on. I know they did it in Nashville um, about six years ago. I forget who did it, but that was really, really well done. And it would be really helpful if I could remember the name of it so I could tell you, uh, but I'll look it up. So I have, uh, <clears throat> I guess, one tip of what not to do to teach <laughs> Erlang and Elixir. Um, my first introduction to Erlang was at a, a Ruby, D, Ruby D camp eight, six or seven years ago. And uh, we did the game of life in it. And it was like four list comprehensions. Oh, God. I have no idea what that did. <laughs> uh, so that, that put me off from Erlang for a very long time. Uh, and like, had we have not done that, like, who knows what would be different. But <laughs> yeah. Um, and as far as for the, the actual question, uh, we typically have uh, the people who join Smart Logic typically ha like are either JavaScript and like front end React stuff or like Ruby knowledge primarily. Um, so it's just kind of toss you into a Phoenix application. It's mostly the same. Uh, and then kind of the first thing I want to like show off is Ecto uh, because chain sets are just like life changing. <laughs> um, and so like once you kind of get hooked with chain sets and like pipe uh, the pipe operator and whatnot that kind of also helps you get in with immutable data structures and whatnot. Um, so yeah, just kind of tossing you in the deep end and, and figuring out how Ecto works is would be my, my, my tip for like, if you already know a programming language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also don't have any experience trying to teach it as a first language to, to people, but, um, but I think the thing I've seen that looked most promising, uh, uh, so I'll post a um, so there was a, there's a plural site course called Meet Elixir. It's Jose Valim showing off Elixir. This was actually originally produced by another group that got acquired by Pluralsight. Um, and so I saw it as kind of the standalone thing and it's, uh, it's one programmer and he just kind of gives Jose a task of, hey, if I wanted to make a website that can stream things, how can, um, how can I go through and get those little streaming files and start to parse out the information so that I can kind of show what resolutions are available and, uh, and things like that. Um, and so they, they just kind of walk through and, and Jose starts off with just some .exs files. And so he's just kind of like shell scripting in a way and it starts off very basic. And then he, you know, and then it's like, okay, well, here's how strings work. And, and he introduces pattern matching and he introduces the pipe, but it's very like the whole way through, you're very much grounded in, Hey, this is, we're trying to get to here and the, we need to get to this level of output in order to get to the next step. And so he's kind of showing the very functional approach of like, well, let me think about this problem in terms of what does my input data look like? And if I can get the data to look like this, then I can do this with it. And then I can do that with it. And um, that very kind of data transformation uh, problem solving approach. And when I saw that, that was very much the, one of the moments where I kind of was very interested in Clojure and a lot of other functional programming languages. And it very much pulled me into the Elixir community because I was so impressed by the practicality of saying, yes, let's think about the world in terms of, uh, in terms of data transformation, in terms of functions, but um, let's just make it uh, extremely practical. <laughs> like let's just solve a problem in the least amount of code possible in the combination of those two, um, those two, thoughts was was so attractive to me. So um, that's one that I suggest to a lot of people. It very much is aimed at people who know a little bit of programming already. Um, and then another great one I think is Dave Thomas's uh, Elixir for Programmers. It's kind of a video course. I think has like 12 chapters, costs $35 or something like that. Um, and a lot of times when people are starting 
uh, to work uh, at the place I'm working at now and they want to learn some Elixir, um, I'll just buy them a license and send them the link so that whenever they want to, it walks them through um, some of the basics of the language, but pretty quickly gets into message passing in actors. And um, that's a lot of times the biggest thing that's new if you're coming from another language. Yeah, I think I'll just mention a couple ideas then because I think of people's possible experience that they've already had with some functional kinds of things. And the ones that come to mind are like Lodash, JavaScript library. Um, it's very functional in how it works. I, I really like that one. And also there is a immutable JS as a library, uh, which is interesting because you start working with maps and lists and things, but they are implemented in JavaScript, but they are immutable. And I found that was really helpful with uh, writing front end JavaScript, uh, like, you know, React or Vue or anything like that, where I wanted guarantees about not accidentally mutating state. Uh, but yeah, so like as far as learning, I think uh, I'll just mention it here. Um, I'm currently in the process of building an online course for people specifically uh, geared towards this idea of like, I already have some programming experience. I'm being brought into an existing team. I need to be scaled up quickly. And there's certain things that we cover in a lot of um, the books and things that aren't actually important for accomplishing that skill of becoming productive quickly. And then there's like, you know, uh, future courses will be things about how I, I take on some of those advanced concepts that are important, especially as you're architecting or you're leading a team and you need to understand it more in depth. But like for being someone who comes in and starts contributing, it's like there's a, a smaller set of things you need to know. So yeah, that's a, a course that I'll be launching soon and hopefully I'll be able to uh, mention that more when that's ready. Mark, it's like you're opening the lid of your brain. <laughs> yes, on Twitter, I'm uh, at BrainLid, which is that, that's the idea, right? It's like kind of like to share what I'm thinking about and I'm open to new ideas, but <laughs> that's funny. All right, well, is there anything else we want to talk about or mention uh, before we go to picks? All right, uh, let's go to picks. Um, Josh, are you ready with one? I am ready with one. It is a series of articles titled From Design Patterns to Category Theory. And it's just a very excellent, I haven't gone through it all, but I've read six or so articles so far, and that was enough for me to know I wanted other people to read it. Um, it just goes through category theory as, sort of as associated with design patterns or how you can think of it as design patterns plus plus. And it's really awesome. So that's all I've got this week. Awesome. Michael, do you have one? Yes, but now I can't stop reading design patterns to category theory. <laughs> this is, that's an amazing, this is like a book's worth of content easily. Um, all right. I, uh, so the, one of the things that caught my attention this week was a blog post by the Discord people um, talking about using uh, Rust. So uh, going back to the, the uh, Adolfo's point about Rust and Elixir being hot topics. Um, and so what Discord was doing is they have, uh, they have kind of the list of other people in your channel. And um, they wanted to, if possible, in a lot of cases, people are coming and going. And, um, but if that person's not in the top list of people of your channel, then sending a notification down to your device is kind of just wasted bandwidth. And so they, they wanted to minimize that, but they needed this really fast sorted set implementation and they ended up building one in Rust. Uh, and so I'm gonna drop in a, a link to the blog post, but also I was really impressed that, um, that they took the extra time as a company to open source uh, the solution that they came up with. And so it's very much if, if you're into like benchmarking and data structures kind of stuff, uh, it's a very interesting read along those, uh, along those uh, lines. I really get into that nerdy stuff. And also it made me want to uh, pick the Rustler project, which uh, is just a really great way if you are ever in a situation where um, you're wanting to do you know, a lot of repetitive calculations or kind of statistical stuff where, um, where having um, more specific 
integer types can actually boost your performance quite a bit. Rustler is a really amazing project to be able to write some Rust and implement it or bring it into an Elixir project. And they do some pretty cool things. It has a lot of helpers for translating the types of data from Elixir uh, into Rust and so forth. Um, anyway, I found it extremely compelling and um, I, I just was really appreciative that that the people who built Rustler were spent the time to put that out and then that uh, Discord would not only solve their problem, but take the time to write a blog post about it and open source the, the solution that they came up with. So just big thanks to all those people. Awesome. That is, that is an awesome article and uh, write up about that. Now that was a resource I've also been kind of bookmarked as something interesting to use. Eric, did you have something? Uh, yeah. So I, I want to, I guess the, this week, last week, the, the Erlang Ecosystem Foundation um, kind of put out a uh, Google Drive doc, uh, Sheets thing uh, to try and bundle up all of the meetups kind of around the world. Um, so I think it's a cool uh, thing to, if you don't know that there's one near you, you can look at this and see if there's one close by or to add yours, that's local. Um, I know Indie Elixir just got in uh, recently. So that was, that was fun. Uh, and also how I found out about this. So yeah, go check that out. All right. And I was going to pick one, uh, it's a non-technical pick. It is a video. Um, it's a YouTube video about it's called the marble, um, machine music. And it's just kind of this, what, yes. what, I, love, <laughs> what I love about this thing is like, it is, you know, people who are hackers at heart and they just, whether it be in the physical world and they're like saying, Hey, can we make, a wooden device with marbles that we wind up and it makes, it makes awesome music and we can throw these different levers and it can turn on and off different instruments and things like that. I just think it's, it's fun. Uh, I just love to see the, 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 the fun that people have creating unique things in the world. So that's it for me. Uh, Adolfo, what do you have? So I have three non-technical picks three Brazilian movies. Uh, I, I, I used to be a, a, a great lover of cinema, but not, not, I don't have so much time anymore, but I still love movies and these three Brazilian movies, there is this one Aquarius, that it's about a, a woman that it, she lives in a building and the people want to, how, do you, how can you say, destroy the building. That, did so that she they can build a, a bigger one but she doesn't want to leave the building and so it, it's it's a great terrible movie but it's great with it's it's with Sonia Braga and Sonia Braga is also an actress in this other movie that's the, the kiss of the spider woman she uh, did she works there with in this movie with William Hurt that won an Oscar for for his performance, and there is this other movie that's uh, a little bit more famous. It's City of God. It's about slums in Rio de Janeiro. So these were my three technical picks, and my technical pick it's because uh, as I said, I'm thinking about how to teach Elixir to people that don't even know how to, to program a, a language. Maybe we need something in the line of the, this book by my friend Ulysses Almeida. It's Learn, Learn Functional Programming with Elixir. It's a, I think it's a great book for beginners, although it, it, kind, it kind of assumes that you know how to program in some programming languages. But it's it's in the right direction. I think it's it's the move. Uh, it's the book that I I would use if I would. Of course, I, I we we have a problem here. Is that uh, many Brazilians can't read English? So maybe we need a, a book as good as this one by Ulysses Almeida, but in, in Portuguese. But it's a, a good start. Awesome. Well, Adolfo, thank you for coming on and talking with us today. It's been a pleasure. If people would like to follow you online or get in touch with you with maybe any follow-up questions, where should they go to do that? Yes, I, I'm mostly on Twitter at AdolfoNT. It's because my, my last name is Neto. But uh, when I tried Adolfo Neto, there was, it wasn't available anymore. So I, 
I just put NT, Adolfo NT on Twitter. And from there, you can find links to my other pages. And ah, I also have a blog on Medium. It's the same Adolfo NT, where I post some things, uh, that some short, uh, longer posts about the, the Elixir community. Awesome. All right. Well, that's it for today. We hope you'll join us next week on Elixir Mix. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.